0: Welcome to The Partial Historians.
1: We explore all the details of ancient Rome.
0: Everything from political scandals to love affairs, the battles waged
1: and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr Rad. And I'm Dr G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it by reading different ancient authors and comparing their accounts.
0: Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city.
1: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr G. And
0: I am Dr Ad.
1: Woohoo! together at last across the waves of the internet
0: (laughs) excellent well dr g here we are chatting about the history of rome from the founding of the city it's been a bit of a weird moment i think lately because we've just been speeding through you know in a way that we never have really before it's crazy the years are whizzing by
1: (laughs) (laughs) our sources are crumbling around us they are is the sort of thing that makes ancient historians concerned <laughs> and also avoid writing scholarship on because they're like, I don't know what to say. Everything's it's just cracks, cracks and no evidence. Ah. Definitely.
0: I mean, one of our big themes of late has definitely been this conflict of the orders between the patricians and the plebeians. That seems to be the narrative that they are flogging to death.
1: It is. A narrative that we're not sure is real, but continues nonetheless in <laughs> the sources that survive.
0: You gotta, you gotta love that when you, when you're not sure that it's real, and yet it continues on.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So we've had some trials and tribulations with a certain posthumous, yes, over the last couple of years.
0: We have indeed, and this kind of fits into this whole conflict of the orders thing. So the last year we were talking about was 414 BCE. And in this year, a very shocking event happened, actually, because the Romans are are big on military stuff. Most people, I think, know that. There you go. Headlines around the world. (laughs) Academic says Rome was big on military stuff. No one's (laughs) ever said that before. (laughs) So they're big on their military stuff, which means that they are big on order, discipline, and yet we had the murder of a patrician elite, one posthumous, by his own men, seemingly insulted by a comment that he made during a Conflict of the Orders moment where there was debate about what was happening with the policies back in Rome.
1: Yeah, now this is interesting because I do have a source that's going to come up in this episode. So we're going to be looking at 413 BCE Mm. and... It suggests that this moment with Posthumius is one that, like many things in this early period of Rome's history, is difficult to nail down to a very specific time period. Okay,
0: okay, I'm
1: intrigued, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Does he come back from the dead only to be killed again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he had some more sick burns and he hadn't done levelling them at the plebeians yet. <laughs>
1: Look, he wakes up from his grave has another shout it's gets <laughs> murdered for a second time. How
0: dare you all question me, you lowly <laughs> vagabonds.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness me. Yeah, all but, right. we, but
0: we did leave on this very dramatic moment because, I mean, honestly, I think in any society the murder of someone who's supposed to be in charge is a big thing. And I think in any society these days, particularly the murder of someone who's like a general or something like that, you know, someone who's really invested with authority in that society, it is a really big deal. So I don't think that the Senate are just going to turn around and go, well... He was a bit of a douchebag. I,
1: I think they're going to
2: want answers. I didn't essence. like him either. I think they're going to
0: want the truth.
1: <laughs> it is hugely problematic, as you say, because he was invested with legitimate power. As a general of the Roman army, he is one of these figures that we assume is legally capable of wielding what we call imperium, mm. this capacity to lead troops. For those troops to then turn around and murder him suggests a severe breakdown of Roman discipline on the one hand, but also calling into question the whole apparatus of how does legitimate power function. Mm. And part of the way it's upheld is through the process of enacting it repeatedly so power gets reified over and over again through every roman general being able to successfully lead an army whether they win or lose coming back with that army where possible and still (laughs) in charge of them and for him to not get to that point and for the troops to make the decision that revolting against the general is a is the best course of action in any scenario suggests that there is some real internal problems in rome if this story is to be believed, definitely. And I mean, even though
0: what he said was despicable, I mean, he's a patrician elite male, come on. At the same time, it was just a comment. <laughs> it was just a comment said in passing for them to, you know, take it so personally that they're going to, you know, go to murder. And I mean, well, okay, yeah. okay, they, I what, think they this were is also. I our
1: sources might disagree, though, as well. So, yeah. like, the one sort of source that I had was talking about how he just refused to allow them to have an appropriate cut of the spoils. That's
0: true. That's true. Like there was the backstory, but it seems to have been this comment that kind of tipped them over the edge, which to me... <laughs> suggests that there is something more serious going on here. If that's the trigger, <laughs> then there's something really serious going on here. Yeah, what is it that we don't
1: know? <laughs>
0: yeah, and in my account as well last episode, we, we really did leave on a cliffhanger, not just in the sense of the murder happening, but also a real fear amongst the senatorial slash patrician class because in Livy they're interchangeable, <laughs> that there was going to be a plebeian elected for the first time to supreme command military tribune with consular power if they didn't do something to try and prevent that from happening. So they, they're definitely <laughs> concerned that once that this is, they, they're taking it seriously because they're like, if we don't step in right now, we're going to actually have plebeians get ultimate power, which even though technically we agree that that was possible, we also secretly agree that it was never going to
1: happen. <laughs> I'm happy to agree on paper, never want to see it in real life Yeah, absolutely Mm, Typical
0: patricians I know, so shall we segue to 413 BC And see what the Romans are going to make of this mess Let's do it
1: C.E. in ancient Rome.
0: (laughs) And I know we're not having military tribunes with consular power this time because it would be too much of a risk. A plebeian might get in. So, Dr. G, tell me, who are the consuls for this year?
1: We have, first off, we have Aulus or Marcus. We're not sure about his prime omen. Mm. Cornelius Cossus. A name we know well. Yeah, but it... from a branch of the family that has been in power before, certainly, mm, but yes. we're not sure that this guy has necessarily had the top job before.
0: No, no. I mean, he's not the famous Cossus that was very involved in the conflicts that we were talking about in the 430s and the
1: 420s. But presumably related to him.
0: Presumably.
1: <laughs> and we also have Lucius Furius. <gasps> oh. mendulinus Mm furiae now this is a guy that you want to remember okay he is going to go on to have a very illustrious career
0: (laughs) you didn't even need to tell me that dr g all
1: you need to say is the word furiae and i know it's going to be on fire (laughs) that family they can do no wrong (laughs) i also have listed an interrex for this year yes A certain Quintus Fabius Vibulanus, who you may recall, or not because all Roman names start to sound the same after a (laughs) while, was previously consul in 423 and was also a military tribune with consular power in 416 and no less than the very previous year, 414. Well, that all makes sense, doesn't it? They want
0: some continuity there. (laughs) They do. Old mate knows how an election goes. Yeah, well, basically... In my account, he comes in because they have an interregnum because there's this standoff about are are they going to have military tribunes or are they going to have consuls. Obviously, the plebeians are pushing to have military tribunes. The Senate are like, absolutely no way, no how is that going to happen because we know that you're going to elect a plebeian and that's disgusting. How dare you for even thinking it? (laughs) And so they hold out. There's like this extended interregnum period, apparently, until eventually they get their consular elections and consuls, which means that only patricians can hold supreme office in this year. So mm. that guy that guy becomes interrex, because as we know, interrex means that it's this period where you don't have the official magistrates being elected. You've got a sharing of power happening. It's a weird hangover from the regal period that we continue to call interrex, even though there is no king. The king is Jed and this guy was the one that organized the consular elections whilst he was holding the temporary power of Interrex.
1: Yeah and I'm sure he does an excellent job. I don't have any real lengthy <laughs> analytic no. source to no, rely on for nothing. this year. Um, I have a little bits and pieces. So for instance, I've got Diodorus
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Siculus who lets us know that we've got Marcus Cornelius and Lucius Furius as our consuls, mm-hmm. and also gives us the heads up that this is a tricky time for the Athenian war in Sicily.
2: Mm.
1: So just you know, to put uh, broader Italy in its uh Mediterranean context, Diodorus Siculus <laughs> gives us that little tidbit. He goes into heaps of detail about that war, but I stop reading him. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to know about the Peloponnesian stuff. This is not a history of Greece from the founding of the Greekness. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> oh, that'll be another podcast. Perish uh, the wait, thought. <laughs> wait, our spin-off series. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. when
0: we're done talking about the history of Rome, because we're going to be done so soon, obviously.
1: <laughs> That's right. We'll we're preparing our head for our next series. Yeah. I've also ended up reading a little bit of a writer called Florus. Oh, uh, much
0: later source than
1: Diodorus I believe. Indeed. Yes. (laughs) Let me introduce you to Publius Arnius Florus. Mm. He is a man of African extraction Mm. who goes to Rome in the late first century CE and is flourishing and writing a lot in the early second century CE. So think Trajan, think Hadrian that kind of time period.
0: Okay, so some, some High Empire stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, and he seems to have been pretty good friends with Hadrian at certain points in his life. And one of the things that he is famously known for is his epitome of Livy.
0: Which is handy because, unfortunately, and I know it seems impossible, dear listeners, but it will happen one day. We do not have all of Livy either. Eventually, Livy also will peter out.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm excited for when the tables turn and maybe I have some sauces. And, <laughs> and maybe you're like, I don't have anything. I'm like, aha! <laughs> It'll take a
0: long time. <laughs> it will. It will.
1: You've got years left in Livy. So, Floris is famous for this sort of epitome of. Livy. Yes. So we're not getting necessarily anything new in terms of the history. And so if you have Livy, mm. I'm probably not going to be adding much to what you can well, say.
0: Look, you never, but you know. never know. You never know. I mean, look, this is the thing. Like, sure, sure, he's doing the Wikipedia version of Livy, but Ouch. but <laughs> doesn't mean that he's maybe not adding his own spin to things. You never know.
1: Mm, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Likely. I don't know. <laughs> All
0: right, well, let me tell you what's happening early on in this consulship here. So, as we suspected, the first order of business is the murder of Posthumius. Okay, they can't just leave that to go unavenged. Even if, even if in some remote land they thought that this was okay, which they do not, as we know, murder is taken very seriously. Again, in most societies, it's a pretty big thing. And so you can't just ignore it, particularly when it's so public and violent. <laughs> So they start an investigation into the death of Posthumius. However, there is, I think, genuine concern about how this investigation is going to be handled. Okay, so then the Senate aren't like racing in all guns blazing they're not like forming together, they're in posse. I mean, I was kind of thinking, is this where the young patricians come back in, finally, speeding out of the horizon in their Ferraris to cause mayhem and havoc, to seek <laughs> revenge?
1: But no. <laughs> I could see them doing it, but I can also understand or appreciate that the Senate might be a bit concerned for their own lives as well. They'll have to tread quite carefully in some respects, because if the anger of the soldiers continues, and does not dissipate during the natural course of things, Mm. that could be a problem for them.
0: Yeah, so this is an interesting case. So we have talked a little bit about investigations into murder because obviously it does happen, obviously, in every society. We have mentioned it, but this is the first time that we've apparently seen like a special commission into somebody's murder, okay? And Mm -hmm. there are going to be a few of these that pop up throughout Rome's history where there is like, Something that happens that's so extraordinary that it requires this special kind of investigation. And we're not really sure where they came from. Like, is this actually the first or just the first recorded? Mm, no, we're not. Yeah. yeah, we're not really sure. But it's basically that the commission is given by a legislative act by the people. Okay, to the consul or the chief magistrate, and they're able to use their full powers of Imperium, which means full powers of life and death during the investigation. Now, we obviously were just speaking about Imperium. It is obviously where you know the true power of a magistrate resides, but obviously they're not going to get very far if they're constantly making people genuinely afraid that they're going to exercise powers of life and death. So usually it's life. <laughs> usually they're not walking around murdering people not murdering, sorry. They're not. Well, I mean,
1: it's, yeah. it's not the hallmark of a great detective investigation, is it, to kill all of the witnesses or all of the suspects before you've really had a chance to question them? <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Yeah. So it seems to be basically giving them total scope, you know, to do what they need to do in order to investigate what's happened apparently the next time that we'll really see this exact kind of commission or like the way that this one is kind of set up, it won't be until much, much later in the Republic. So in a, okay. in a, in a better documented time, we're talking at about apparently there's going to be a case coming up in 141 BCE. So put that in your diaries, listeners.
1: <laughs> that is a long way from where we are now. It Does is. that put a cloud of suspicion over this being the first? Well, I mean, I think this is the thing. There, there are a lot
0: of questions about what this exactly is, mm. uh, exactly how it is set up. And there are a couple of ways that it can. That's that's just one way I think that you can set up these sorts of special commissions. And eventually, once you have these particular kinds of quest stores, the question, <laughs> question is perpetue. <laughs> I can't do Latin. It just comes out as Italian.
1: (laughs) This is not the parachidiums.
0: No, no. Oh, interesting. Once you have these particular types of Christas, they would then set up the commissions on a need-by-need basis, not using imperium as the basis of their actions. So it's basically, I think, that the law that sort of set them up had given them the power to enact these special commissions. And again, we'll see examples of this cropping up in a, about 110 BCE and 90 BCE. But Mm. it's fairly clear from the details of this event that that's not what we're dealing with here. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely dealing with the first type. Um, Because there isn't another example for another couple of hundred years, obviously there are huge red flags around this. Whether we should actually be believing that this is something that actually happened is tricky. And Mm. certainly... What has been suggested by one of the academics I've been reading is that, again, this is one of those examples of something from later in the Republic that is being sort of retrojected back. And interestingly, might be because there were concerns being raised by the time you get to sort of mid and later Republic that the Senate were potentially kind of abusing... These commissions, their ability to set up these commissions and use them for political purposes. So this is actually the same kind of commission that we see set up in 186 BCE with the Bacchanalian scandal when they investigate that. And it will also be used in the Graken era. So
1: all right okay yeah. uh, there is a big cloud of suspicion now. <laughs> yeah, it
0: definitely is. There's a big cloud of suspicion, but certainly again if even though we might not be able to say okay, yes, this is exactly what happened to investigate the murder of Pestumius. It does tell us something about, obviously, again, what is concerning later on in terms of maybe abuses of power or the exercise of power, Um, certainly in the middle to later Republic and the way that these sorts of special commissions might become to be used, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. That's all very
1: interesting.
0: I know. Anyway, but... In this particular example, if it did happen, and I'm sure there was an investigation, as I say, they're not going to. There would have had to be some kind of investigation. It's just a matter of what it really looked like. (laughs) Yes. So, wisely, the special investigation. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. I just realised it's an SVU, special investigation (laughs) unit. (laughs) Dung, (laughs) dung. So, in our special investigation unit, ancient Rome, (laughs) (laughs) they don't get too vindictive, they only select out you know, like sort of the minimum amount of people, like the ringleaders, I would presume, who were most involved in, I guess, leading the charge against Bostumius when he was uh, murdered in a mob scenario. And even the ones that are chosen for punishment, it seems that most of them are allowed to commit suicide rather than the state being the ones to... Enacts okay. that punishment, which by That's Roman standards—that's actually standards,
1: very generous by Roman standards.
0: It really is, because this is the whole thing. Obviously, suicide um, can be a very troubling issue it is a very troubling issue but by Roman standards they have a slightly different way of looking at it to the way that we do it is a way that you can restore some honor and also potentially i mean we don't really know what the deal is with property laws obviously in this time but it is potentially a way of also protecting property and that sort of thing depending on what kind of crimes you're being charged with so yeah it is yeah. it is very generous for them to allow this to happen even though it sounds awful obviously
1: Yes, very intriguing. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure what to make of any of this. I don't have any questions so far. Just uh, <laughs> curiosity. Well, does, does I... Livy offer more detail than this?
0: Oh yes. Oh yes. 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 So obviously, you'd think, okay, moderate investigation, not an abuse of power, fairly generous penalties, even though obviously it's still death. But at the same time, limited in scope and method, I suppose. And yet, Dr. G, it just goes to show. You know, you give and you give and you give. And still, the plebeians are unhappy with the situation in Rome. Still, they dare to have questions about their lives. Still, they give the patricians problems how is this possible, Dr. G? Just goes to show that the patricians are in the right at all times.
1: Oh, yeah, they've been super generous. You know, they've been insulting the plebeians for centuries at this point.
0: <laughs> so, whilst the consuls have been busy playing Agatha Christie with their special victims unit, <laughs> the plebeians point out you know what? It's interesting that you've dealt with this murder so quickly because I can't help but notice that it's been, oh, I don't know, a century since we asked you for meaningful change in this place, and yet nothing, nothing. (laughs) Anybody? Agrarian
1: reform? Anyone?
0: Anyone? (laughs) It's amazing that the patricians can act so quickly when it is in their interests. They have questions. Oh, Look, they have questions. Look, that is a very
1: fair criticism.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Livy actually says this might have been the moment to appease the plebeians, calm the situation, by dividing up the territory that had been conquered at Bolle, Mm-hmm. and just, you know, trying to put the matter to rest before yeah. anyone else gets murdered. But...
1: There's the... always a but, isn't there? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> the patricians... Don't rule that way, as we know. They were not clever enough to make this move at this point in time, which means that the plebeians are still hungry for an agrarian law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically, they're obviously keen at the moment, at this point in our narrative, for an agrarian law that would, and I quote, expel the patricians from their wrongful occupation of the public domain.
1: Yeah, look, this is the same claim they have been making for the last 50-odd years. They want the agar publicus, the common land, to be redistributed out because it's currently being squatted on by patricians.
0: Yeah, and as we've highlighted a number of times, this seems highly anachronistic and unlikely (laughs) because we're probably living in a time of warlords, where everyone's just kind of squatting on land because that's just kind of public land (laughs) Yeah, that's just what warlords do there there probably isn't really public land it's probably just land that's occupied by clans and their dependents and they hold it like that's probably what's going on here so this is all very grecken late republic again (laughs) it's trending hashtag Trending. <laughs> so instead, the plebeians are left sulking, feeling very much like they were being hard done by, that the patricians were unfairly occupying public lands and holding them off it using force. The patricians would not even consider giving any of the most recently captured territory to the plebeians. I mean... Ugh. Concede like, nothing! <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just like it's always been. The rich get... Richer, and
1: they're left with nothing. Mm. Yeah, mm. I have some thoughts about that, but I will keep them to myself. Yeah. Well, it's around <laughs> this time. It's around
0: this time that we have some military action happening externally. So the Volscians start attacking the borderlands of the Hernicians.
1: Oh, very interesting. Okay, before we get too far into that, okay, let me give you what Florus gives us because Florus doesn't get into what might be happening on the military front. Okay, uh, okay. So this might round out the the plebeian patrician agrarian issue. Okay. So Florus tells us that this period in Rome's history is considered a second age of the Roman people. Ooh. Ooh, fancy. See, I told you he'd have his
0: own little flourishes. <laughs> Flourishing Florists
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, this time period is thought to be the one where Rome is at its most vigorous
2: mm.
1: and and in the heat of its strength. So something about the virility of the people is really uh, what Florus is sort of touching on here. And he sees this... Uh, action against Postumius mm. as being part of a broader set of actions that the plebeians are taking against the patricians in this roundabout sort of 50, 100 year period. Everything right. in this really early republic that we've dealt with kind of gets a mention in this passage. Okay. So he says that the army mutinied in the camp and stoned the general Postumius right. when he denied them the spoils, which he had promised. Check, check, check. (laughs) Check. That also another action that falls under this kind of mode of um, strength and virility from the plebeians is under Appius Claudius when they refused to defeat the enemy when it was in their power to do so.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I feel like I remember vaguely when that was, but I can't remember exactly when that was. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Research what makes a podcast great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I did try to track it no, down no, no, by going kidding. back I through do. our episodes, I but uh, yeah, it eluded me. And I was like, "Appius Claudius." I mean, he was he was terrible for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, th- th- there's that year that goes on forever if we're talking about the Appius Claudius who's the second Decemvir. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Which I yeah. assume this is where we are. Right. And he talks about when, under the leadership of Valero. Right. Many refused to serve, and a consul's fasces were broken. Oh, so that is a reference back to really early events in 472. I was going to say I do remember that, but
0: Valero is a name from yeah, like ten years ago
1: <laughs> in More terms of in 10. terms of our
0: podcasting, <laughs> not not the Roman history.
1: <laughs> so Valero Publius as tribune of the plebs uh, riles up everybody, and yeah. they they break some fasces, which is pretty good. Yeah. He then talks about Coriolanus, another big figure. But again, Uh, going back to what? Like the 480s? The 490s. Oh my God, (laughs) there you go. Uh, When he orders uh, the troops to till their fields and (laughs) things like this. And then he mentions a figure that is a little bit uh, foreshadowing for us because we haven't got to this guy yet. But we're going to Mm. keep your ears peeled, listeners. Mm. Uh, Not literally, because that would be gross. For (laughs) Camillus. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. He's going to be another big guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming up really soon. So we're anticipating his uh, eventual presence. But obviously, there's an attachment there between what happens in Camillus's career and what is happening with the plebeian struggle. Mm,
0: indeed. So
1: Floris bundles all of these kinds of moments together as letting us know that there's, the plebeian struggle has been ongoing and continuing and this murder of Posthumius is one of these landmark events of civil disobedience, essentially, indeed. against the ruling class.
0: Oh, look, it's a huge deal. I mean, look, I shouldn't, I sh- you know what, I shouldn't have said what I said earlier about the comment being the thing. Obviously, I think it's more his actions that have riled them up to this state. You know, the broken promises about bougie, whatever they were. And then I think he, the general harshness of his demeanor. Mm-mm. I think that's, that's definitely obviously the thing. But the comment, I think, just embodied his attitude, which is very typical, I think, of a lot of patricians of this time, where even though they're doing the hard yards and winning the land it's him and his mates that are allegedly benefiting from these sorts of conquests. Yeah. Yeah, and the people, they've had enough and they're not going (laughs) to take
1: it anymore. (laughs) I fought for this land too. I want a slice.
0: (laughs) All right, cool.
1: So is that uh, Floris' contribution to uh, Posthumius? That is what Floris has to tell us. I could tell you that I also went to Zanaris. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. <laughs> getting, getting late with your sources there.
1: <laughs> Zanaris uh, is a 12th century CE source. Uh, it's actually, actually, closer to us than it is to Prestigious in a way. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's almost. <laughs> but almost, yeah. yeah. So, Zanaris is living under the Byzantine Empire and writing from the, the glory and glamour of of the roman east wait wait
0: wait! sorry listeners listeners do you hear that that's dr g clutching at straws <laughs> <laughs> damn it you yeah. know what i the love your about- research i love your research i'm just
1: joking <laughs> the thing about zonaris is that nobody has gone about the epic work that it would take to translate i was going all to say zonaris yeah. from the greek into no. english because he does an incredible job of condensing all of the histories yes. into a single work, and people are like, "I could translate that," but sometimes we've got the real source that he used, right. and so then they're like, "Nah, forget Zanaris; he can sit there." So <laughs> he does exist. There's books and books of Zanaris in Greek. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember having my suit. Yeah, <laughs> I was.
0: Gonna, I remember looking up Zanaris at one point and being like, "Holy crap, it's not translated! What the hell?" <laughs>
1: Some parts of it are, definitely, but not the section I was hoping to read. No, the section I was looking for either. I was like, how very dare you? Making me do my own (laughs) translations? Outrageous. I checked it. It's about three pages worth of ancient Greek. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't translate it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that's
1: all I have. That is literally all the sources that I consulted or attempted to consult. All before right. I got sad.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, then let's wrap up the whole Conflict of the Orders thing for the moment. Put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. So it's around this time that the Volscians start attacking the borderlands of the Henetians. Okay. Mm. People we talk about a lot. The consul, one of the consuls, furious, and therefore the best consul, <laughs> decided that he was going to obviously take some Roman legions out to deal with them because the Romans generally do come to the aid of the Hernicians, You know, they've got a bit of a, a thing going on there. However, when they got there, they could not find the Volscians that were causing the problem. I love it when these sorts of campaigns happen, where they <laughs> go out with an army and they're, they're like, where is everybody?
1: <laughs> they get there and they're like, well, it took us a while to get here, but it looks like this is done dust and dusted and everyone's gone home. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, they decide, well, we've got, got all dressed up and we've got nowhere to go. Let's just capture Ferentinum, because there are a large number of Volskians residing there. So it's as good as anywhere. And those Volskians, they are our problem right now. <laughs> we'll now,
1: teach them a lesson.
2: <laughs> yeah, the
0: Volskians must have been anticipating that this was a possibility, I guess, because... When the Romans capture Ferentium, they find that there's not a lot of booty there because the Volscians had already moved anything of real value out of the town. They did, I guess they thought that if the Romans came into this area that this wasn't a place that they could hold. And so they were very organized, Dr. G. They got everything out. And so the Romans are like, check, please. <laughs> Is the bus still running? Because we're not hanging around here for this. Um, so... I would sum this campaign up as being the Romans came, they saw, they casually sauntered about, and then they gave the town and its territory to the Henicians because
1: they were like, not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no booty. We're a bit bored.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now Ferentinum will later apparently become a municipium of note, but this Mm. is the first time that we actually have it mentioned in our written material. Apparently... The site is modern Ferentino to the east Mm -hmm. of Rome, uh, a bit further afield than we have talked about before, perhaps. And realistically, although the Romans may have given it to the Venetians because they were kind of like, eh, (laughs) it doesn't seem (laughs) worth the hassle. It's probably also because at this point in time, obviously, Rome doesn't want to overstretch themselves too much, you know, and... Yeah, they've been having some internal problems, as we've well and truly documented. <laughs> now, this, this, this kind of had me thinking a little mm. bit about this whole scenario here. We obviously, in this past hundred years, we have talked a lot about various colonies being set up at this time. This is kind of how Rome expands, right? We see gradual little colonies, you know, being set up all over the place. Sometimes they lose them again, but <laughs> that's kind of their, their strategy, um, Ferentinum itself, it, it is obviously in this Harnesian area in Harnesian territory, and therefore it was actually part of the Harnesian Federation, not the Latin League. Now the uh. Latin, yeah. Now the Latin League is something we haven't mentioned in a while. This is a kind of loose confederation <laughs> that exists at this point in time. I think it's basically that people have people in. You have a shared, I suppose, like linguistic and cultural and religious background, have obviously agreed to extend rights to each other across various territories that, you know, that share these things. So, for example, you can move to another place and it's not going to be a massive hassle. Trade is easier between these places. Marriage is easier between these places. Um, this is something that was set up a really long time ago. Again, we keep going back to those 490s, Dr. G. This is when the Latin League was... Formed,
1: yeah, sort of came into existence, yeah, and and Rome is part of that league, yeah, and is going to become increasingly separate from it over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. They have they have this alliance with the various members of the Latin League, and it's going to be something that lasts into the next century that we're talking about, and it is probably what helps to safeguard this area of Latium against these very mysterious shadowy people we keep talking about, the Aquians and the Volskians, who
2: yeah.
1: lie outside of this sort of territory and we know bugger all about, quite frankly. Well, yeah, they lie outside of the territory, but we also think they're different linguistic groups as well. So yeah. that's, that's part of that issue as well. It's not just their location geographically, it's also a sense that they're culturally different as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, it is also worth mentioning that lately, uncharacteristically, because for a while there was just nothing, it was a bit of a drought in terms of Romans making progress in terms of expanding their empire, you may have noticed we've been talking about some things being captured lately. You know, it, It's been a bit of a feature, even though it's caused massive internal <laughs> issues sometimes. And therefore, some people have suggested that that we're actually entering into like a new policy era for ancient Rome, that they are indeed embarking upon a period of more aggressive expansion at this point in time. And this is not going to be the last time in the next few episodes, I think, that we're going to be talking about some areas being captured by the Romans. So, yeah, just something to you know keep an eye on that potentially oh, yeah. this is an era of evolution And Mm. even though, as I say, even though it's not always, you know, it's just not always progress, sometimes it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back.
1: (laughs) But they're trying (laughs) out some different locations, seeing if they can hold them, and sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Yeah. And it's obviously also producing a lot of tension between Imperial command, like so the deployment of Imperium and how it's being utilised, and the people who actually have to enact the violence of taking a place. So it seems like there is maybe a tension that's not just about agrarian reform, but maybe a tension about, well, what does expansion look like and what does it even mean and why are we engaging in it?
0: Yeah, and definitely we're also going to be heading into an era where I think we're going to see some slight changes to the way that the Romans manage their military forces, the way that they fund it, that kind of thing. So it's interesting that we might be entering into a new military phase for Rome, even though obviously because of the time period and the source material that we have, we can't be 100% sure of the details. But if we're looking at that broader picture of truth, because that's (laughs) all we can really aim for, I think at this point in time, certainly whatever's happening It does seem to be that Rome is more outward looking again, you know, after being very fixated on internal problems or whatever was happening in that previous period. Maybe we're starting to see an end to that really horrible period where it seems like, actually, in a broader sense, things were hard in, you know, in this time period. Maybe things are starting to get a bit easier. It's a bit hard to say, but certainly potentially bit of a new phase that we're entering here and as I say this is kind of we're kind of just at the beginning of it really um we're going to see definitely I think more coming out about this definitely
1: Ooh, watch this military space indeed
0: and that brings me to the end of 413 BCE Dr. G Ooh. BCE, Dr. G, who are our magistrates
1: in this new year? Oh, it's a very exciting year, 412. We've got consuls. Mm. Mm. We have Quintus Fabius Ambustus Vibulanus mm. and Gaius Furius Persillus
0: interesting because these are obviously familiar gens we've heard these family names before but the men themselves a bit mysterious perhaps
1: they are neither of these two crop up again in any consular lists
2: Mm. (laughs) and Hmm. that makes them feel
1: (laughs) slightly like they might be trying to make up the numbers for a calendar that might be out of whack. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, that
0: sounds all right to me, putting a Fabian and a Furii in place.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we've got some classic patricians in power. Yeah. We also know the name of the Tribune of the Plebs. Yes, we do. Lucius Aikilius. Oh, yeah,
0: now that's a blast from the past. Not the actual guy, but the name.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And so in lieu of uh, my ancient source material, which is very thin on the ground for this year, what I do have to offer you is a back catalogue of who the icelii are as a Gens. <laughs> oh, actually nice? Because
0: I actually looked into that too because I remembered <laughs> from the whole Virginia thing.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. There's some famous stories in this family.
0: Yes. So. All right. Well, I'll, I'll set the scene a little bit. So, previous year... Even though obviously there's a lot of sulking going on, and even though we do have the success, obviously with the capture of some of some territory, kind of even though it's handed to other people, <laughs> it's a f- relatively peaceful year by ancient Roman standards. Livy reckons. <laughs> so we've got our new consuls coming in, presumably still a bit of you know nervousness in the air about you know plebeians potentially getting elected to power with all this unhappiness going on. And they are right to be concerned because we have a young firebrand, Lucius Isilius, Tribune of the Plebs, and he starts to cause issues immediately, daring to bring up the question of old agrarian laws. How dare he? Now, (laughs) as we've highlighted so many times, it's not a big surprise that we're seeing a man with this name bringing up these issues because, as we know, the Romans do think that but, you know, that characteristics run in families. And this is, I think, a good time for you to tell us about the Aeciliae and their their lengthy history of plebeian reform.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Yeah, these guys are like our most famous plebeian gens, probably, from the last century. So it's kind of exciting that we've got this legacy to sort of look at. There's probably a good reason that we have this, uh, and we start with right back in the early days of 492 BCE, mm-hmm. Spurius Achilleus. Ooh. Ooh, he was a tribune of the plebs. And not just any tribune of the plebs, he was one of the envoys following the withdrawal, so the first succession of the plebeians <gasps> to the Monsacre That the is a leash. mount. That is Elise. <laughs> yeah, solid, solid.
0: Yeah. Solid plebeian credentials right there (laughs) yeah going back to the origin of the fight that's their stonewall man
1: yeah that's (laughs) it that's where it all began yeah he's also thought to have introduced a law uh, through uh about disruption of plebeian assemblies so making it illegal to disrupt gatherings of plebeians for formal discussion and process Fair cool so the patricians were usually just rocking up and causing trouble and (laughs) He's like, no, that is illegal. (laughs) Nice, nice. And then we have our most famous, (gasps) Achilleus, the Virginia, the very same. I thought it might be. (laughs) So he holds the Tribune of the Plebs position three times: Mm. once in 456, 455, and 449. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a rivalry uh, of the plebeians to the whole decemberate that has sort of risen up and taken control yes so he's the one who is credited with carrying what we think we're not sure about the historicity of this law necessarily the law that's known as the lex de aventino publicando ah yes i remember this the law that allocates the aventine hill to the plebeians yes yes aventine aventine It's the place to be if you're a plebeian. Yeah. He's also caught up in the whole situation with the Desinvius because he is engaged to Waginia. And this is the young woman who falls victim to the machinations and predatory behavior of Appius Claudius. Yes, I remember that very well. And this really riles Achilles up and he becomes a spokesman for the second succession. Mm. So the trouble, I think, for us as historians Mm. is that every time we have an Achilleus in the narrative history so far, they've always been in charge of a succession of the plebs. Mm. Mm. I see where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so as soon as you start to read into the start of 412 BCE, which is where we're at, the reader is primed through the sort of analytic history that sources like Livy and Dionysius have been providing to expect something big to happen coming from uh- an Achilleus. Something big is about is to happen. Librarian. Something big is about to happen. Are you ready to hear how he goes with this agrarian
0: reform, Dr. G? Are you ready? I am. Okay, here we go. So he raises the issue. He causes lots of problems. And then a pestilence strikes and nobody cares.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so basically... Very anticlimactic. Well,
0: okay. I'm going to say this. This is pretty much all we have for 4.12, okay? That pestilence broke out and everybody lost interest in anything other than staying alive. (laughs) Ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. (laughs) So people are obviously way too distracted to be worrying about politics, so Isilius is just dead in the water. But I will say this. You're not going to see seen the end of this family
1: <laughs> this is not the last time <laughs> no, this is not the
0: last time 412 may be ending in a bit of a sad sick bundle but mm. the achillei will return
2: <laughs>
1: so, oh well that's good to know yeah and so with that being said dr g that brings us to the end of 412 oh well and- let me just give you some small contextualizing details before we move on no. nothing to do with roman history i might add okay <laughs> So, Diodorus Siculus is giving us the names of the consuls, correctly, it would seem, and he
0: also Wait, lets us are we, know... are we doing
1: 411? No. Oh, okay,
0: sorry, okay, sorry, sorry, I was confused.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. we're still in 412. Okay. Before, we, before we wrap up Sorry. Um, yeah. 412, Yeah. he also mentions that in this year, the Carthaginians... Are launching a war also against Sicily. So the previous year we had the Athenians. Uh, Sicily is caught in the middle of some things Poor right Sicily. now. Yeah. The Carthaginians at this point in time are being led by a general called Hannibal. Ooh. Not not the famous one. <laughs> not not the Hannibal. No, no. But a Hannibal. Yes. Because the Carthaginians often call their people Hannibal.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Again, another popular name. (laughs) It's a very
1: popular name for the Carthaginians. Yeah. So Sicily is in a really sort of difficult situation in this period. Yeah. So south of Italy, just off the mainland, it's a broiling hotbed of military action. Mm -hmm. It's happening outside of the Romans' domain. They might know about it through trade and various other disruptions. Um, They're not involved in it, but it is an active military situation that is happening to the south okay and that's all i got
0: okay nice well that actually is going to play into i think a future narrative of ours so knowing a bit about the contextual stuff will be very useful for our future episodes but i won't say any (laughs) more i won't say any (laughs) more I
1: like to think so. Yeah. Just giving a little bit of a teaser here and there. Exactly. <laughs> Got the
0: on the prowl. Oh. Ah. <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. G, that's 4.13 and 4.12 done, which means it's time for the partial pick.
1: So, Dr. G, what is the partial pick all about? The partial pick is where we rate Rome according to its own standards. Mm. Now, this is unfortunate for Rome because Rome is still a baby right now (laughs) and its own standards are pretty high for itself. (laughs) But there is essentially five categories that we're going to measure Rome's progress and success by. And we're going to give them 10 gold eagles maximum in each of those categories. So it is possible if Rome is at its flourishing best, to receive 50 golden eagles. All right. What's our first category? Military clout. Well, okay. We
0: have something to work with here. We have got the capture of Ferentinum. They did just give it
1: away, though.
0: Well, yes, but it was theirs to give.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. So uh, conquest without retention. I mean, it doesn't sound like well, the Roman way. I mean, nobody says that the Hernicians lost it
0: back, it's still kept. It's just kept by, like, a friend. It's like, can you hold my purse while I go to the bathroom?
1: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Mm, yeah, look, I I mean, I'm, I'm not very convinced.
0: <laughs> look, they didn't get a lot of booty or anything. So, look, I think we should give them at least a three. Yeah, that's
1: fine. Okay, good. Acceptable. All right. <laughs> done. All right. Our second category is diplomacy. Hmm. Are they good at negotiating? Well, okay. Again, externally, no, because there's warfare.
0: Although I suppose there are the relations between the Hunnitians and the
1: Romans. That's something. I suppose, yeah. They, they did give the Hunnitians a huge gift.
0: Yeah. Take a town.
1: Yeah, that's nice. <laughs>
0: take this ghost town. <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing in it. It's yeah, yours. Exactly. I mean, it's, they basically like snatched it up, turned it upside down, shaken out all the contents and being like, yeah, there's nothing in there. Throwing the carton away and be like, here, take that.
1: <laughs> this but- is almost sounding like the infamous moment where I gave my brother a five cent piece for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But if we are going by internal diplomacy...
0: I think there is some effort at internal diplomacy in the sense that the investigation into Presumius' death was sensitively handled.
2: Yeah,
1: very interesting. Mm. I'm not sure that I really quite buy that for this period of time. It seems very unlike the patricians. There, I
0: say, again, once again in ancient Rome, there are so many red flags, we may as well be in communist China. But still...
1: Yeah, I suppose if we read it at the face value and we, we don't have heaps of options because we don't have a lot of alternative evidence.
0: I mean, look, we may not believe the investigation. <laughs> we may not believe that special victim unit existed back in this time. Maybe it was more of a crime scene investigation. Who knows? Maybe it was more... CSI, you know? yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was more Hawaii 5 We will never know, Dr. G. But I think definitely we could potentially say that the death of Posthumius was investigated sensitively.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, in that case, I'm willing to give them a two.
0: Okay. All right.
1: (laughs) Generous, as always. (laughs) All right, what's our next category? Our next category is expansion. Well, yes.
0: Not a great one. Again, I'd probably only give them maybe like a two. (laughs)
1: Is it expansion if they take it and then they give it away to a friend? I think so, because the Henicians are their allies.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. Mm. Come on, come on, let's two points.
1: Let's two little golden <laughs> eagles. <laughs> Fine. <All right. laughs> the fourth category mm-hmm. is Wirtus. Mm,
0: not really. It's not like It's not the most impressive of times, I will say. <laughs>
1: We're not seeing great displays of manliness, no. Not at this point in time, no. And then, is it a good time to be a citizen in Rome? Well, I don't think it's the it's worst. It's not the worst time. No. Although, did we just have a pestilence? Because that's not that's not great.
0: That's not great for anybody. Patrician or plebeian, we are all united in our dislike of disease. That's true. So we've got disease happening, we've got the plebeians being unhappy about the lack of progress on the agrarian law front, feeling slighted that the patricians are more interested in acting out Murder little... investigations. Yeah. <laughs> well, every, everybody likes true crime. The patricians are no exception. The patricians are more interested in uh, murder investigations than in seeking meaningful societal change. <laughs> There's a surprise. Yeah, so look, it's not it's not great, but at the same time we do have Someone from the Achillei in the Tribune. There's a position. little bit of
1: potential there, and yeah. I suppose if we're taking the investigation, having the opportunity to nobly die as opposed to being severely physically punished, yeah, and, uh, and to death. And in this
0: narrative, they would have all been plebeians. It's yeah, yeah. That, that's just how it's set
1: up. So it's not. I mean, it's not great, but uh, no.
0: is it like a two?
1: yeah (laughs) okay
0: well dr g that means that the romans have managed to scrape together between the years of 413 and 412 nine golden eagles
1: oh boy that's not great (laughs)
0: look it hasn't been great for a while (laughs) so nine out of 50 not fantastic but i definitely think we've got some very interesting times lying just around the corner
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Partial Historians. A huge thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping make this show spectacular. If you enjoy our show, there's a few ways to show your support. You can write a review wherever you listen in to help spread the word. Reviews really make our day and help new people find our podcast. Researching and producing a podcast takes time. If you're keen to chip in, You can buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi or why not join our fantastic Patreons for early releases and exclusive content. You can find our show notes as well as links to our merch and where to buy our book, Rex, The Seven Kings of Rome, at partialhistorians.com. Until next time, we are yours in ancient Rome.